You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Friends, welcome back to the broadcast. This is Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, as always, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you from the palatial home recording studios of the Corbett Report here in the sunny climes of Western Japan. And tonight we're going to be talking about a subject that I know each and every single one of you out there can relate to and know something about, and that's money. Something that surrounds us and pervades our uh, our entire world, but so few of us know exactly how to prepare for the collapse that we all know is coming in the system that has been created around us to serve the interests of the very few at the expense of the very many. And so tonight on that subject, we're going to be talking to someone that we've had on the program before, so I hope you're familiar with him already. If not, you can find out more about him at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. That's all one word, financialsurvivalnetwork.com. I'm talking about none other than, of course, Kerry Lutz, our uh, good friend and regular fr- uh, guest here on the program. So, Kerry, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. Hey, well, James, you know, always uh, love to share and help in any way I can, and if we could wake up a few souls who are slumbering under the misapprehension that your government's taking care of you and that everything's going to be okay, then we've done our job. Go back to sleep, America. The government has everything under control. Yes, indeed. Well, we are shaking people out of their slumbers, perhaps one at a time, but it is working and more people are becoming aware. So hopefully we can arm them with some knowledge they can use to actually prepare for what's coming instead of just sit there as passive recipients. But uh, but before we get into all of that heady, deep meat and potatoes of tonight's conversation, we just have a couple of minutes up front here. So first, uh, let's just catch, uh, catch up with you. I, I know personally I cannot possibly keep up with all the media you're putting up uh, there at Financial Survival Network. Just a ton of interviews and great guests that you have on there. Tell people a little bit about your own radio show and what uh, what you talk about there. Sure. Well, the theme is financial survival, and it deals totally with the financial reset, James, that you were discussing, the financial collapse, which it's a reset because something will follow in its path. We might not like that system as much as we'd like the one now because easy money is not going to be the the core of that. But what I wanted to do, my goal was to inform you, to keep you up to date and give you hundreds of sources as to what was developing and what you could do about it and how you could prepare and confront the reality rather than letting the reality confront you and therefore perhaps do something about it. I mean, we're all somewhat powerless in this equation because these are global forces that are in effect. But my feeling is that uh, if enough people become aware, you know, one man, James, with courage is a majority. And I don't pretend to be a hero or have great courage, but my feeling is that the more sources you hear it from, the more people who tell you what's going on, the more likely you are to pay attention because otherwise you've got a nonstop stream of propaganda from the mainstream media that's telling you, don't worry, be happy because every little thing's going to be okay, as the song says. Mm. Spend, 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 and don't worry. I mean, uh, Black Friday went very well this year, so I guess everything's a-okay with the economy, or so they want you to believe. Well, tell us about some of the guests that you've had on recently. Oh, sure. Well, uh, yesterday I had David Morgan on. 
of uh, silver-investor.com. Uh, he's a guy who's been into silver since he was about six years old. And I can really relate to that because, you know, I'll never forget the time when my brother came in the kitchen and he, it was 1965 and he dropped what David calls the Johnson slugs on the floor. And then he dropped some silver quarters on the floor. And, you know, the silver quarters had substance and the, the slugs sounded tinny. And, you know, David's great for that. I've had, I've got it. You know what? I have to look at, uh, I have to look and see who well, I've while got you're on. doing that, in fact, we're going to take our first break. But when we come back, of course, uh, you guys out there can also check at home, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. So let's take a short breather, and we'll be right back with more of Terry Lutz right after these messages. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report Subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's International Forecaster Editorial recommended reading and viewing discounts on Corbett Report DVDs and once a month a subscriber only video sign up today to start receiving your copy at CorbettReport.com slash support All right, friends, we're back here on Corbett Report Radio. Once again this evening, we're talking to Kerry Lutz of the Financial Survival Network. And once again, you can find that at financialsurvivalnetwork.com. And Kerry is a wealth of information on all things financial and economic. So it's good to have him here to pick his brain and see what's going on in the markets. And I think a good place to start would be talking about the metals markets and see what's going on there and uh, some of the moves that are that are happening right now with gold, silver, platinum. Uh, Kerry, your breakdown on what's happening in the markets right now. Well, you know, as far as the COMEX goes and in the U.S., um, we're approaching the holidays and you have really low volume in that place, in that space because most fund managers have locked in their bonuses already and they've got uh, St. Bart's on their mind or the south of France or, you know, the Caribbean someplace, any place but New York, any place but the trading room. So that means that the market is very susceptible, even more so than usual, to manipulation. When you have that low volume, they don't even have to wait for the jobs report or anything else. They can slam it down, and that's what they've been doing. And then they slam it down, and gradually it goes back up again. You know, we're at around 1700 for gold right now. Silver broke uh, 33 again today. It was up to 34. And my feeling is... James, uh, yeah, right now it's 3303. My feeling is, James, that um, nothing meaningful is going to happen until after the inauguration because we have a government that only cares about appearances, not about realities, and they want the appearance for that coronation. Um, they want it as positive as possible, and that means keeping the metals down. But, but every cycle person I talk to really feels that uh, 2013 is the year that these metals go up, really take off. In the past year, consolidation, I think uh, that's pretty accurate. Um, that there's a good possibility they're correct. But if it's not now, it'll be a little bit later. It doesn't really matter in the scheme of things, only that people get nervous, they're holding metal, 
and they want to uh, you know they want to to see it go up. They want to be vindicated, and life does, just doesn't work that way. So, which metal do you see as having the biggest potential upside when this uh, cor- correction takes place and they start to to re- retain their real values? That's always a good question, and there's always a debate on it. But but look, you know, silver, uh, the historic biblical ratio is 15, 15 ounces of silver to one ounce of gold. It's fifty one right now. That's way out of hand, but it's been messed up since. Silver was demonetized. Occasionally, silver would get down to 18 to 1. So silver obviously does. Plus, there's booming demand for silver in every form of electronics that we treasure. You know, without silver, you and I could not be talking now. We couldn't be having radio shows. And, uh, you know, David Morgan's done the work on it. But my feeling is silver is by far got the far greater potential because it's an industrial metal where demand is skyrocketing, and then you have nascent financial demand. You see all these uh, these silver eagles being sold by the U.S. Mint, you know, millions and millions of them. It's down this year, but the past couple of months, the volume's gone up again. So, uh, obviously, hands down, it's silver, but but they kind of take turns alternating. But gold will go up, and then silver will have its day, and then they'll consolidate, and then silver will go up. So the volatility, you know, you have to be able to withstand 30% drops in silver literally overnight, which happened. You're up to 48 and change, almost a near nominal record, and all of a sudden it got slammed down to $25 an ounce, and it's been in a consolidation period for the past year. I'm not the best technical person for this, but... Well, I, I don't need to know anything about technicals. I just know, need to know about the trend. Because as they say, the trend is your friend. The trend for silver, far more powerful in the long run than gold. Short-term gold potentially could outdo silver. But if gold breaks 2,000, silver's certainly got a good shot at 250. I mean, at, I'm sorry, at $50 the ounce, a new nut on the high. Well, you you do bring up the point that since demonetization, the uh, the old traditional values of fifteen to one ratios, uh, silver to gold, don't hold anymore. Is I, I mean, has something fundamentally changed? Are we never likely to see that again, or do you think that will come back to a fifteen to one ratio? Well, the demonetization led to huge amounts of silver on the sidelines, and you know a fifty year glut of silver, maybe a hundred. I don't know went back to the late 1800s where we became strictly gold standard off the silver standard. There's all sorts of reasons for that that we don't need to go into. But point being that you know, there's been all this supply. Now the supply appears to have tightened, got huge short interest on the COMEX. You know, the metal just doesn't seem to be there unless they're going to go reclaim all those old X-rays that, uh, you know, x-rays are worth like $200 uh, for a couple of pounds now. There's so much silver in them. But the point is that there's not much scrap in the silver market, and whatever surplus they've been able to feed in all these years looks like it's pretty much gone. And you have investment and monetary interest in the metal, which hasn't been there since uh, since they pulled it out of the... Uh, out of the coinage in, in 1964. So, so 
the short answer, I guess, is that uh, it could potentially be remonetized, or if not remonetized, looked at as a superior store of value, as is gold, but it's the poor man's gold, because it might be difficult for a person to buy more than an ounce of, of gold at $1,700, but at the same time, he could buy, she could buy 51 ounces of silver for the same $1,700. So if there's a monetary panic, a crisis, silver will far outperform gold. So it would appear. And plus, it's uh, it's more easily obtainable by the average uh, person than an ounce of gold, which uh, is a lot of money for, for a lot of people out there to invest in. Um, so it's certainly, uh, I think people should at the very least uh, have gold if they can, but also definitely have some silver. But uh, obviously, I, I would imagine you and I are in, in agreement that physical is the way to go. But are there any mining stocks or, or paper, gold or silver that you're interested in these days? Yeah, well, the problem is, A, I'm not like a licensed financial advisor, so I always tread lightly in this area, so I don't give individual advice. But it's difficult to hold all of your money in physical once you get past a certain point, so you have to look at the paper investments and weigh them, knowing that if the system implodes, all of your paper will become worthless, but assuming that that won't happen, and I rather think that it won't. I think uh, there will be some type of accord uh, Bob Chapman, may rest in peace, always said there'd be a Plaza Atene agreement. They'd sit down right off the deck and uh, rejigger the monetary system. I think that's the likelier outcome here at some point when everybody throws in the quantitative easing towel. But uh, So in that case, your stocks will still have some value, in which case uh, I personally like CEF, that's the central fund, of Canada, uh, trading at a smaller premium than it has before. I like the Sprott funds. And there's a little uh, silver closed-end fund. I don't want to call it an ETF. That is a totally different animal. Uh, the Canadian funds actually are audited and definitely have the metal. They don't play futures. They don't write options on it. They don't lease. They're audited, and they're very transparent. And this is called the Silver Silver Bullion Trust. I believe it's the same management as CEF, which has been around Central Fund of Canada, which is half gold, half silver, been around since the 60s. This one's a little more recent. They've got about 30 million ounces of silver. When I looked, James, at the net asset value of that fund two, three days ago, it was trading at a discount, which I don't ever remember it doing and I've owned it for the past three, four years. The other kind of physical silver that I love that you can buy at a discount to spot, and I've got a report coming out shortly on it, is World War II vintage nickels. From 1942 to 1945, most people aren't aware, nickels, they needed the nickel for uh, naval purposes, military purposes. They pulled it out. A so-called nickel was then 35% silver, 50%, uh, 56% copper, and throw in some manganese for, I guess, the color, I don't know. And these nickels are now worth, uh, when I looked a week ago, I bought them. They were worth $1.83. I bought them for $1.72 on eBay, free shipping, too. So I love the uh, war nickels. At one time, when silver hit its peak, 
They were trading each nickel, $3.83. The World War II nickel has appreciated against face value much more than any other non uh, numismatic silver coin. It's gone up 38 or 900 percent. The uh, quarters, dimes, and nickels, uh, quarters, dimes, and uh, half dollars only have gone up 2,600 percent. So it's, it's just an interesting little quirk. It's trading at a discount to its uh, metallic value of 6%, give or take. I like them a lot. Well, that is fascinating, and I must admit I didn't know about that World War II nickel. So that, that is uh, that is interesting to hear about. And, of course, it brings to mind back in the primaries when Ron Paul was talking about buying a, a gallon of gasoline for a dime, a silver dime, that is. And, of course, he was uh, basically laughed off the stage, but only because people don't really understand that uh, that silver is actually or is more valuable than the face value of, of the money itself. So uh, on that note, we're coming up against another break. Let's take another breather. Once again, we're talking to Kerry Lutz of FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. We'll be back with more right after these messages. All right, friends, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. Once again tonight, we are talking to Kerry Lutz, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And if you go there on a daily basis, you'll find all sorts of news and information from around the world of finance and economics talking about how best to help save your money and uh, and to hopefully grow your wealth a little bit. It's still possible, believe it or not, even given the dire straits that the economy has been in for years now. But, uh, but on a slightly different note, let's just turn to one of the recent posts that you had up there on FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. Just earlier today, you posted a YouTube video from YouTube user StormClouds Gathering called The Social Contract is Invalid. And I think it's a nice little uh, expression of something that I'm sure a lot of people have heard in one form or another, an argument that people have heard before, but I think he does a good job of putting it into a very succinct little video, basically talking about how the idea of the social contract, the Jean-Jacques Rousseau idea that we all are somehow signatories to some social contract that we can't see or understand, but that somehow we just have to oblige when people with uh, hats and badges come along and tell us they have authority over us, is, of course, a completely uh, untenable concept and one that just really doesn't make any sense when you start to examine it. And I think, again, a lot of people have heard that argument, but it is important to once again to continue bringing that to the forefront of people's minds as uh, as it becomes, I think, more important to question where the so-called presumed authority of the so-called presumed authorities really comes from. And uh, I'm happy to see that on Financial Survival Network. Uh, Carrie, if I didn't know better, it sounds it would sound like uh, some of the anti-statist philosophy is, is getting through. Let me tell you, um, I had a discussion. I was out to uh, dinner the other night with a couple of three socialists, uh, collectivists, whatever you want to call them. And uh, the one guy is telling me that, uh, you know, the government should control 80% of the economy, like the airlines and medical care. And I'm just like, I thought, I said, I thought they already controlled somewhere around that. I guess I missed something. But, you know, it's, we're talking about voting, and I said, I don't vote anymore. I don't vote. You should vote for one of the two. And I said, why? I don't believe this government represents me. I want absolutely no part of it. I I want to disconnect from the system, and I never felt this way before. As bad as the two candidates have been, since I can remember, I always managed to pick one, hold my nose, go into the voting booth. Now I just stop because the contract 
in my mind, is invalid because we no longer have a government of limited powers in the United States. They can make a power, a law, to tell you to eat broccoli, to tell you to stop smoking, to tell you not to have more than 16 ounces of a sugary beverage, to not eat trans fats, and I've had it. I'm just not going to recognize its authority anymore. I'm not going to do something that's going to land me in jail, but I am not going to recognize its way. I will recognize the people behind the badge as individuals. I won't recognize them as authority figures. That's my way of doing it. Because I don't see any point going to jail to prove a point. You know, we had Ann Barnhart on recently. She stopped paying her taxes. She stopped filing. She told me they levied on her bank account. They're trying to take everything she has, and she's ready to go to jail. Now, that's okay, and I think it's admirable, but I don't really think it's effective. I agree completely. I think there's a, there's a lot to be, to be thought about there. And I think it is important that we do delegitimize the system that presumes to have that authority over us. And I think the best way to do that is to stop basically going along with the facade, the farce that is this supposedly representative democracy where it just keeps taking more and more and more powers. And, uh, and basically people just have to try to vote for the lesser of two evils every time. And of course, we've seen what that has gradually brought over the past, at the very least, the past half century, if not the entire process of, of dem- democracy itself. So so I have to agree with that. I think it does just lend authority and legitimacy to a system that doesn't deserve it. And of course, as uh, as is pointed out in that video by Storm Clouds Gathering, it was, I believe, was it Franklin that said that every generation needed its own revolution, that a new contract, a new Jefferson. That makes more sense, Yeah. Yeah, well, you'll forgive a Canadian like me getting my founding fathers confused, but uh. <laughs> they're they're not your founding fathers, so it's okay. But but you know, it's it's really true that the system needs to be purged. It hasn't been purged, you know, for hundreds of years already. And you know, my my prescription is outlaw political parties and term limits, and you know, get rid of the parties. I think the parties are purely corrupt. They're power machines. They only exist to obtain power and distribute it, distribute the benefits. And, you know, there's no, uh, there's no we the people in it. You know, if this is a government of the people, I want to know where I could sell my share. Well, from my perspective, if I was a social engineer with the power to engineer a political system that would be as absolutely amenable to the interests of the very few as possible, I would probably choose something like the American system because it is so stable. It gives the illusion of participation. There's the illusion that, oh, it's uh, it's democracy. We pick our leaders, but it's structured around this two-party system, which itself is completely controlled by the very same uh, individuals, whether it's the left or the right side. They, they keep moving forward with the same agenda every time. And it's, uh, it's a remarkable mechanism of social control. So... I, uh, I I do tip my hat to every time I see people t- starting to question that and trying to uh, raise people uh, other people into questioning it because I think that's such important an important thing to do in this day and age. But on that note, we're coming up against our next break, so let's take a short breather. We'll be back with more right after this. Oh, 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the broadcast. Once again, this is Corbett Report Radio, and I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. That's C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com. Tonight, we're talking to Carrie Lutz of the Financial Survival Network, and that's FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And of course, the link will be there in the show notes for tonight's episode at CorbettReport.com in case you miss it. And you can go there and find all of the incredible work that he's doing in terms of his podcasting, as well as the uh, the all the updates to the website with news and information. And uh, Carrie, I wanted to turn next to something that uh, that well, I suppose on if we look at it at face value, it's good economic news. But we'll see if there's more to it. Uh, you posted up recently a new post from Zero Hedge. U.S. household assets seventy eight point two trillion, liabilities thirteen point five trillion, net worth sixty four point eight trillion, and it says today at noon the Fed released its quarterly flow of funds report in which we found the state of the U.S. household as of September thirtieth, twenty twelve, or just after the market had peaked, courtesy of Q Eternity. Not surprising, total household assets, as always, driven primarily by the stock market, rose by a total of one point seven trillion, consisting of point five trillion in corporate equity equities, point three trillion in mutual fund shares and 0.4 trillion in pension fund reserves and it goes on from there but uh, but basically some positive economic data like the the great jobs report that we saw right before uh, her Obama was elected for another term um, what what is up with the 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 economic data that's coming out these days and uh, should we be putting our faith in this well first of all I meant to wish you happy prohibition repeal day is 79 years ago today Prohibition was repealed, and we did a little special tribute to it, popped some champagne corks in celebration. Hopefully, 79 years from now, all the other prohibitions that exist today will be gone as well. But, Amen to that. You know, <laughs> yeah, because of the damage it's done. But getting back to statistics, you know, I don't believe anything the government tells me at this point. If they tell me the sky is blue, I'm looking for chemtrails. You know, <laughs> you can't believe a word they say. They have zero credibility except in people who profit from their statistics and their appearance of credibility. You know, they have none. I mean, they didn't see the housing crash come. They didn't see this depression we're in. They keep printing money like it's going to do something. We still have 47 million people on food stamps. Five million people more on disability over the past four years, five years. You know, nothing is improving. So they can play with the numbers all they like. But what about all that debt that the government's run up? And then one of my guests this week, Lawrence Kotlikoff, I don't happen to agree with many of his prescriptions. He says, based on uh, future expenditures, we're $220 trillion in the hole from what's been promised to what has to be paid. So how does this affect the $220 trillion unless the government is going to expropriate all the wealth in the country and turn it over to the, the, the beneficiaries? It means absolutely nothing. It's just an excuse. And I, that's why I stopped reading the news and stopped looking at this stuff. And I'm sure I didn't catch that article on Zero Hedge, even though I posted it. I know that Zero Hedge... Uh, was as incredulous as you and I. Well, well. Speaking of being incredulous about the Fed statistics, uh, Zero Hedge actually has another post up today that uh, that you haven't posted to your site, but it's uh, other assets of two hundred ten billion is now the Fed's third largest asset, and uh, the Fed is now listing 
one point six billion in uh, treasure. Or, sorry, one point one million six hundred fifty-five thousand eight hundred eighty-nine million in treasuries. I don't know. I, I guess that's denominated in millions of dollars. Eight hundred eighty-three million thousand six hundred twenty-seven million dollars in mortgages and other assets. Two hundred nine uh, eight six three million. And basically, this article is going into what that actually means. And the Fed is basically saying that other assets means other assets. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the only clue that they give to it is that it's denominated in foreign currencies, meaning that it's some form of foreign assets. So uh, so again, just what we don't know about what they're telling us is absolutely bigger and more important than what we do know. And uh, and I think they use that, that leverage that comes with that information, because in the markets, of course, information is money. Information is power, and information is the ability to do something about your financial situation. So if they are the uh, the gatekeepers of the statistics and they don't want to tell people about something, then uh, then it's, it's as if it doesn't exist. Yeah, pretty much uh, they're the spin masters. They create the reality that uh, the rest of us have to live by. And, you know, there's never been a transparent institution. I went on a tour of the New York Fed, uh, the Gold Vault, which is something that if you have the opportunity to do, you shouldn't miss. You just go onto the Federal Reserve site, you book your reservation a week or two in advance. I was the only or one of two Americans on the tour. The rest were all foreigners and Asians. And, you know, there's a room full of gold. And I said, well, whose is that container? Oh, we can't, we don't disclose that. Well, what about that one? No, we can't tell you that. Now, I assume that the gold is real, not tungsten bars, for the simple reason that prior to the, um, Adoption of the London uh, good for delivery bar, you know, 400 ounce bar. The U.S. bars were rectangular shaped. They were bricks. And most of those bars down there appear to be bricks. And maybe they could, they could, uh, clone them or counterfeit them, but they look beat up, you know. The stuff has been moved around so many times it gets dropped. Gold's malleable, 24 karat gold. And, you know, some of them had like a little bit of corrosion on them because there's a little bit of copper oftentimes in the gold. It oxidizes orange. So, you know, obviously short of assaying it, that's all I can go by. But I think that gold was real. But who it belonged to, how many times it's been sold, I always bring it back to the movie The Producers with uh, Zero Mostel where they con all these old ladies and they sell them a thousand percent interest or 10,000% in a play that they know is going to fail because then they'll pocket the money because no one expects, uh, you know, they all expect these things to fail. And uh, all of a sudden, the, the show Springtime for Hitler becomes a total unmitigated success, and they look at each other, uh, you know, Zero Mostel and Phil Silvers, and Zero Mostel says, where did we go right? And this is the kind of scam that we're involved in, except the... Uh, you know, that's not going to be a blockbuster hit. It's going to end in, in ruin and failure because it, the Chinese and the rest of the world want their gold. Right. Exactly right. And of course, people, I'm, sh I'm sure, have heard at least about that story with uh, Germany now asking to repatriate up to 150 tons of their own gold. 
as there's been some questions about how much they really have. And it's not just a question of who owns the, the gold nominally, but also if the gold has been leased out and under what terms and how they're keeping track of that and, and all of the auditing that should be absolutely open and transparent to the people who supposedly own this at the end of the day. But of course, uh, it's the people that they try to keep this information from. So there's been a kerfuffle about that in Germany recently, and now that's starting to spread to other countries. And for example, uh, there's a new headline up, Are the Netherlands Gold Reserves Real? Uh, MPs want answers. So now even Dutch uh, MPs are starting to get into this and asking to see some of the 612 tons of gold that the, uh, the Dutch government supposedly has on reserve. So it's starting to spread, and there's at least people who are starting to ask the questions, which I think is only healthy given, as you say, I mean, we've started to see some of these scams of coming out with tungsten-filled gold bars, etc., in, in New York and other places. So uh, so it is at least something that people should be considering. No question. And look, it, it's such a minor item on the Fed's balance sheet, the, the amount of gold they have. They have it valued at $42 the ounce. So why not tell about it? Who cares? It means absolutely nothing in the scheme of their operations. And yet, they maintain secrecy at all costs. That's really a flag. It's got to make you wonder exactly what they're up to and what do they have to hide. Yeah, but then again, didn't you see Die Hard 3? The terrorists are uh, trying to steal the gold from the vaults in the New York Fed. So, there you go. I don't think, if you go under there, you know, they have to, theoretically, I guess it could be possible you know, it might take six months to blast through 24-7 to get through that bedrock. It, it's just, and then there, there's a bridge, literally, that goes from the waiting area into the vault, and they turn this bridge sideways, and it's like, you know, eight feet thick steel. There is no way to get into that place if they don't want you to get in. Plus, they have their own private army in that building, you know, that we don't know how many hundreds of of uh, SWAT tactical teams are, you know, ready to swoop down on anyone. You know, it's a place where everybody behaves themselves because you just don't know if you do something wrong uh, where that's going to land you in that place because it's, it's a law in a country unto itself. It has its own flag, has its own money, you know, and it has its own president and has nothing to do with the United States. Unfortunately so. Well, let's let's bring things back down to Main Street where most people are living, and let's talk a little bit about your recent move. As people may know, you recently moved from New York State, I believe, down to Florida. Talk a little bit about the uh, the difference in, in the local economy that you've seen where you're living now and, uh, and any differences you've noticed in, in the people. Well, one thing I've noticed is that people down here are as oblivious to the impending financial collapse as they were in New York perhaps more so. Um, you know, one of the reasons I moved here, it's it's just government's smaller. There's no state income tax. They basically leave you alone most of the time unless you're being an idiot. Um, you know, in my area, you know, it's higher crime overall than New York. But on the other hand, gun ownership is, I would say, in my area is near universal. Um, you know, whether I took a... Uh, a class recently and uh, in, in firearm safety. And most of the people there, I expected them to be younger people. There were two people younger than myself. The other eight or nine people were older than me by substantial amounts. And uh, so I see that and I say, wow, these are people who never thought about it in their lives. 
and they're they're wising up a bit. And you know, they say the standard the pay scale in Florida is much lower than in the Northeast because the costs are much lower. But as somebody told me, in Florida you get paid in sunshine, and uh, <laughs> you know that's something I noticed. And just closer to the water, it's much more easier going, a much more uh, easier lifestyle, less hassles, and you know you can be as engaged as you want to be or as disengaged as you like or anywhere in between. And, you know, I'm just enjoying it just for the weather alone. My body feels better and I ride my bicycle. There's miles and miles of sidewalks that nobody is on. Nobody, nobody walks here in my area, you know, in more congested urban areas they do. So things like that, you see. And, you know, it's uh, in a way... People are much more suspicious of the government down here than in New York, um, but you know it's it, in a way it's it's a lot similar. A lot of New Yorkers, Northeasterners, move down here, and they expect a certain level of government service. And the states, uh, the states got financial problems, just like everywhere else. Empty stores all over the place, but things seem to be carrying on, and. You know, it's just a, it's just an easier lifestyle. Existence is easier. You know, in Palm Beach County, where I am, there's hardly a pothole in the entire county, with the exception of one little rundown town that you kind of just avoid <laughs> after sunset. Mm-hmm. So, infrastructure is better because the weather's better. You know, the streets are smooth. They're like something you'd find in Europe or in uh, Asia. The streets are so so well maintained there's pride in them and the place is cleaner you know it's just i don't know how else to explain it but well i I can imagine it must be a a breath of fresh air to step away from the uh, new york nanny state and trying to tell you what you can eat and all of that kind of ridiculous uh nonsense that's going on there but uh but it is it is sad to hear that uh that people generally tend to be as as uninformed about what you know the real basis of the economy there is anywhere else although i suppose that's not surprising just given the the overall pervasiveness of the mainstream media message that everything's okay just leave it to the experts yeah don't worry be happy and uh you know that's what my friend peter grandich says so it's interesting because i have this group of friends at starbucks and they've kind of like started talking to me because they found out about the radio show and the blog and the, the website and all that. And you know, I say, well, what should we do? Because they all know there's something really wrong. And these are these are smart guys, lawyers. They were successful business people. And I said, you should pray a lot and put 10 to 15% or more of your holdings in physical hard metals and just hope that everything works out. And, you know, that's another thing. Like Florida is heavily agricultural, 50 miles north of here. So food... Uh, can still flow if things get tough. And, you know, that's, that's all any of us could do. Pray, just hope for the best, and really start connecting with our communities, our neighbors, to build something separate and apart from the government. Because when it hits the fan, you're going to need all of them. Everybody has a role to play in financial survival and, and physical survival. 
if things really go bad. Exactly right. But I think we have to stress that uh, that rather than just waiting for the inevitable collapse, I think people should be proactively preparing for uh, uh, the future they want and, and not even really regarding what's happening on the macroeconomic scale. I think we have to start thinking about uh, self-sustaining economies and trying to build that up as much as we can. So you point out the local agriculture as as something that will be able to survive regardless of whether or not the uh, the national economy starts to plummet. And that's something that I think people have to be thinking about. And if it doesn't exist in your area, I think people have to be contributing what they can now to try to build that up before the collapse happens, which is why I think it's so important for people to to make those community connections. Yeah, the local is really what it's about. Uh, You know, I've had so many different people on and everybody emphasizes the same thing, that it's really important uh, to connect and to take care of each other because... In a final analysis, you know, if it all goes down south real quick, the government is not going to be there to help us. They're going to be another gang that's an enemy. And therefore, the more that we all band together, the better off we're going to be, the easier it will be to get through it. And this is, this is a transitional phase. You know, I can't be totally negative. Yeah. I mean, the system has been good to me personally. I think the system has been good to a lot of us. For a long time, but eventually uh, it becomes about the system, not the individual. It becomes parasitic, and it starts sucking the life out of us. And then you have to look forward to the next phase, even though it's going to be a rough transition. But, you know, if enough people get wise, we have a good chance. Exactly right. We do have to get wise, and we have to uh, to do what we can now. So on that note, let's take our final break. We'll be back to wrap things up with Carrie Lutz, FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com, right after these messages. If you're looking for a change, you might try another place. All right, welcome back. Here we are in the final minutes of tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. Tonight, once again, we've been talking to Carrie Lutz of FinancialSurvivalNetwork.com. And if you go there right now, you'll not only find all the latest news and information coming across the newswires there, but you'll also see how to subscribe to the podcast and be up to date with what uh, Carrie is talking about there with his own guests. So, uh, Carrie, anything that you'd like people to know about the website or what might be coming up in the near future for you? Yeah, well... When I started this, uh, you know, the what was going to happen, I thought was going to happen a lot quicker. And here we are four or five years later, and we're limping along. And the one good thing is that as we progress, we get more and more information, and we can inform people more and more and let you know where we are. And obviously, there's been protracted deterioration. Things are not getting better, regardless of what the politicians say. So in that regard, the more that happens, the more that goes on, you go to your zero hedge and you really do get an insight into what's really going on more so than you have otherwise. So I think it's just really important that you stay informed, that you keep engaged in the process, because while we can't tell when it's going to happen, the ultimate reset, it's becoming more and more obvious by the day will happen. The system becomes less and less sustainable and more and more rapacious and parasitic and no one's wealth or property is safe as the, as Mark Twain said, while the legislature is in session. Now it doesn't matter whether the legislature is in session or not. The executive has so much power. So 
you need to be informed. You need to constantly get informed or at least do so on a regular basis because that information is going to be your key to financial survival and perhaps physical survival and economic survival that we're all going to go through this trial. You know, every generation has its panic, its financial panic. Our parents, World War II, the greatest generation. And before them, they had the uh, panic of 1893. And before that, the Civil War. So it's a generational thing. You shouldn't feel like you've been chosen or that our generation's been chosen. It's just the way it works. And it's a good thing because tremendous growth results from these tumultuous times because the capacity of man to create and to innovate and to adapt is unlimited. And this is the time where you really need to focus on the best you have to offer and put it forward because everybody's going to need it. We're all in it together. Well, those are some sobering truths, but truths nonetheless. And I think we have to take them into account. And if it's true, as the old adage goes, that knowledge is power, power, then no one is more powerful than those who are subscribed to the Financial Survival Network. How's that for a plug? Hey, All right. That was good. <laughs> I got to remember that one. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, Carrie, it's always a pleasure talking with you. I'm sure we'll have you up on the program again in the future. So thank you again for your time tonight. Hey, James, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for what you do. Um, so many times we just do what we do because it's what we do. But I'm telling you, there's value. Never doubt it. And I'm sure you don't because you're following your passion like me. And if you have any ability to follow your passion in life, don't hesitate. I think that's the number one advice that we can give anyone. And on that note, I want to thank all of you out there who do make this all possible for me. And I certainly hope you'll also support the Financial Survival Network. On that note, we're going to leave it there for tonight. But I will be back, of course, 23 hours from now. Tomorrow night, we'll be going over news and have open phones, anything you want to talk about. So I will see you then. And until then, thank you all for listening and take care.